This is Joshua Bell and our The Kilt and the Cloth as we continue to have our Tuesday morning Bible study and we are continuing the discussion about angels. Now, last week we we were talking about the book of Genesis and we had uh several different types of angels that we talked about, but really the the goal I wanted to bring up in the discussion was the function of in the Hebrew Bible how angels operate so they were messengers the this so in, in what we read last week there's this messenger melek m-e-l-e-k um that are the messengers of god and and robert uh did some research which is great messenger is also used throughout the hebrew bible as sometimes leaning towards a prophet. So sometimes uh, in Hebrew, they'll use uh, uh, the root word of Melech in describing prophets because they are the words of God. It's really important. And while I have you all here, I have uh, people from around the country that are listening to our Bible study. And they said, if you talk Please speak up because they 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 love hearing your voices outside of mine. <laughs> <laughs> they said it was really cool because they like they like hearing your questions and they like because they they think it's neat because they say that a lot of the questions that you're asking are things that they're thinking. So sometimes they can't hear you. So it, it I really want you to feel comfortable with this by this point. But if you don't, that's fine. I just we need to hear your voice and um uh, in this question, because, for example, one of the things that was brought up last week was um, the hospitality conversation. And I, I don't know where it got lost, but she said it was out for about 15 to 20 seconds. She could hear somebody going, but she didn't understand what they said. And then I had this really great statement and she says, I have no idea what the question was. So, um, and Amber, since you're listening, I, I wanted them to know that you, you were listening. So, um, Hey, everybody say hi, Amber. That's right. Oh, let's whisper it. Yes. There you go. So uh, um, she was one of my youth sponsors in Kingman. And and uh, so she's uh, she's really a cool place. Good, wonderful person. So um, anyway, so. So we, we have this conversation about what angels operate as in the Hebrew Bible. And I and I and I'm going to keep going back to this idea that there's there's an understanding of these celestial beings that we don't have. Like there's there's an assumption made when you read this that everybody knows this conversation, um, and 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 as you have these conversations, that we're 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 playing with a, a half half of a deck. Like that's part of the problem. We we've never had these discussions. Um, angels historically have been something that people struggle with. Uh, they, they, they were always art pieces, right? So the only thing that you see is in in stained glass. You see them in in the Sistine Chapel. You know they're they're these these things that exist, but nobody knows how they operate because again the majority of the things that you have in the Bible would be terrifying if they were, if they were real. Right. Um, and so what I wanted to do last week was just have this conversation of 
there is not a fear of these entities in the Hebrew Bible, and especially in the Torah. Uh, the cherubim, which we, we didn't read, but at, at the Garden Gate, uh, the Garden of Eden Gate, uh, God set uh, cherubim uh, right outside the gates of the Garden of Eden with flaming swords and uh, and then and then and also that you read in the Hebrew Bible, especially when we start talking about the Ark of the Covenant, one of the discussions that takes place is in the design of the Ark of the Covenant. Again, cherubim, their wings are folded inwards as if they are covering the top of the Ark of the Covenant. So there's this idea that cherubim are the protectors. Um and so you'll see that throughout the entire Hebrew Bible. Anytime you see the word cherub or cherubim, there's this, this idea that they are protectors and they they are the ones with the swords. And this is what like we talked about before when we start talking about Valentine's Day, uh the, the images of angels with um harps um is a little bit weird right? Because cherubim are something to be feared. Uh, when they have bows and arrows, um, it, it's a, it's, it's not, it's not biblically accurate or historically understood correctly. Um, and so you've seen a, 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 an image where angels were something to be feared to see, to be something as looked at as adorable. And, and between you and I, if I saw a cherubim, I would be terrified. Like I, I would not, I mean, I would totally be scared, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, and then that's in the same category as seraphim, which again we read about in Isaiah chapter six, verses one through eight. Balls of fire, six wings. And you know, we had that conversation already. And then there's this thing about archangels, which uh, we struggle with because uh, you you get different eras of understanding of these celestial beings and each time these eras bring more into it uh we before we all got started I, I talked about this dictionary of angels and it is a dictionary uh by gustav davison it's um the reason i like this book is because it it takes a historical perspective um of the way the church has designed it and i'm saying big c church has designed angels and and it kind of crosses over very uh, a lot of cultures under understanding of archangels and the names of archangels and the names of demons and the, and uh, all kinds of stuff which is neat but uh again it's it's not something you're just going to pick up and and read cover to cover um but one of the most fascinating books in the entire Hebrew Bible is the book of Ezekiel, which is where we're going today. Ezekiel is awesome because it's it's like the book of Revelation. It's it's a dream, right? There's this prophetic conversation about um this chariot and these celestial beings that are just out there, and it is uh for lack of a better phrase, extremely wackadoo. Uh, when you're when you're reading this, 
the people that would have read it at the time would have just been as confused as we are today. Like, what is this supposed to mean? How is this supposed to work? But we we talk about the book of Ezekiel always, especially when we start talking about angels. Another book that we always use to talk about angels is the book of Daniel. But we'll we're going to focus in on Ezekiel today, um, and we're going to skip around uh, a lot. So because I, we don't have time to read the entire, um, we don't have time to read the entire book, right? Because it's it's just it's just a deep conversation but uh we are definitely going to start in chapter one um how many of you seen close encounters of the third kind it's a steven spielberg movie back in the exactly uh so steven spielberg is a grew up jewish and i i read an article one place sometime and i haven't been able to find it since that when they were putting together the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that the spaceship and some of the things that are taking place, he remembers learning about in Hebrew school. And this this image that he has of these aliens and stuff. It, it's it, and, he, and, he, and he creates this spaceship idea in his mind. I haven't been able to find the article again, and maybe I just created it in my head, but, <laughs> the, but there's this... Um, Ezekiel has this really weird story right at the very beginning and um it's been used for centuries to talk about the weirdness of god um and so uh specific the the phrase is called ezekiel's wheel and there are celestial beings that come in and out of it and do all kinds of things um and then throughout the entire book of ezekiel there are multiple mentions of angels as if they were just you know just like candy they're just thrown out everywhere again why does this matter well throughout the hebrew bible they don't know how to talk about it but ezekiel he doesn't have any problem just like the revelation of john uh, john has no issues of talking about angels and and their functions um and and just so that i can have this one little academic moment this is why we put the book of Revelation in what we call apocalyptic literature. Uh, so the, the genre of writing, there were there were three, no, I'm sorry, three or four books that were written in the first century. The Revelation of John was brought into the canon uh, for a lot of reasons, but the Revelation of John was brought in uh, really to kind of talk about the end of time and uh, a.k.a. the end of Jerusalem, and the new Jerusalem that would be created in the same mindset that if Jesus came back as the new emperor. And so there's this apocalyptic component to it. It was the same idea as Ezekiel. Ezekiel was written in, a, in, a, in an apocalyptic, prophetic way that says, at this time, there will be a time when these people that have us enslaved will be wiped out. And God will come and save us from our bondage, and and uh, we will be once again in the full chesed with God and the full covenant with God. We will we'll be walking along this path, and everything will be okay. So that matters because this this influences uh, the way we understand both now the end of time, and somehow angels are always involved with that. So. 
I'm going to pause right there before we read. Any questions, comments? Robert, all you have to do is push that little microphone button on the bottom left-hand corner. Okay. Then I'm, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Um, so in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the river Kabar, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God on the fifth day of the month. It was the fifth year of the exile, exile of King Wahakin. The word of the Lord came to the priest Ezekiel, son of Buzi, in the land of, Cal of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar, and by the hand of the Lord was on him there. Right off the bat, the, the, the author is wanting you to understand the hand of the Lord was on him there. So the, the word of God is going to be coming from his mouth. This is a perfect example of a human melech. Make sense? Okay. As I looked, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. And in the middle of the fire was something like gleaming amber. Uh, in the middle of it was something like four living creatures. This was their appearance. They were of human form. Each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on the four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. <clears throat> their wings touched one another. Each of them moved straight ahead without turning as they moved. As for the appearance of their faces, the four had the face of a human being. The face of a lion on the right side, and the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wings of another, while two covered their bodies. Each moved straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they went. Without turning, as they went in the middle of the living creatures, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire, like torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and lightning issued from the fire. The living creatures darted to and fro like a flash of lightning. So I'm going to just pause right there. One of the things that's kind of important to, to, to really get in, into our understanding of the, the theophany is uh, this, this Jewish mystical understanding of the divine appearance always, it doesn't always, it, it, it this four living creatures, four is is kind of a, a thing, right? Earth, wind, fire, water. There's living things in our life, right? This one has a human face, a lion face, an ox face, and an eagle. An eagle. So does that sound familiar? Book of Revelation does something very similar, right? Now, we can't connect those two here 
it's really important that we don't. In the in the New Testament, those images were also the the things the the banners of Roman uh, legions. So anytime that you see that in the Gospel of Matthew, or you see that in the Gospel of Mark, and yes, the Revelation of John, those are supposed to represent these awful things that are taking place amongst them. And and it's important though because those banners from those legions in the first and second century, they have extreme weight on them. So there's there's a thing that's going on. Here, there's there's a, a historical reference that's going on again that, that we, we might just not understand. But the north wind, right? So north wind comes, we know the weather's going to change. Life is going to be different. Um, the uh, the vision does not identify strictly with the art tradition, right? This there's no cherubim in this story. This is a totally different being. It's not a seraphim. It's not a cherubim. But notice that it has a human face and feet of what? Calves' feet, right? Like in little hooves and straight legs, two wings, right? One of them has four. Each of them have four wings. Two sets of wings. Is Two sets of wings. I can picture them. Two up here and two down here. Sure. Like, like a butterfly so, or something? Like a butterfly. Their wings were up. Mm -hmm. Two of them. And then two were touching down. Absolutely. Yeah. And they have hands. I and they have hands. Yeah. But I, I just, there, this, uh, it just coincidentally, these faces, the, the ox, the eagle, and what was the other one? The human, lion, oxen. Ox, eagle. Those are also some of the same banners that the Assyrians and Babylonians used for their guard. There's something powerful about those images. So they, they seem... These these beings were there yep. before the I mean yep. those flags are the banners. Yeah, so it's a them. yes. Well, I would say that it's more the opposite way. So the people that are seeing this or that are telling the story, they're using what's in front of them to explain it in this mystical way. This is why it's weird. So I don't want you to take anything that we're reading right now literally. This is what I should say. I want you to think about it. You know. Uh, more of a like as a metaphor this is what we've seen and and they come rushing in like the mighty north wind and their faces are human but the banners that guide them are the lion the eagle and the ox it's hard when we look at it and go it's not meant to be literal remember we're in the hebrew bible Hebrew Bible wants you to ask questions. They don't. They don't want you to sit there and go, "This is exactly what happened." No, that that's not a that's not a real good way to think about it. Now they do, they do believe this, right? Like this is when they're reading it. This is they believe this, but it's not like this is point blank exactly what happened. We do that as Christians. We're so black and white. It's 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 frustrating. We we want everything to be perfect. Um. In the Jewish world, 
That is not a, a major concern for them. Karen, it looks like you want to ask me a Thank question. You. Let's go back to verse two. Yeah. That king that they mm -hmm. referenced, is he a good king or a bad king? We don't know. Like I, I was trying to read my commentary and to see what it would say. Uh, we we just know that there's they they list the name. Ezekiel Ezekiel is represented as a priest in five ninety three, um, BC. The um, yeah, it doesn't tell us anything. Okay. It just says the thirtieth year of either Ezekiel's birth. Or Josiah's discovery of the scroll in the temple. Like, so there's this weirdness to it. This is also considered a mystical book, too. Like, in the same way that we do Revelation, right? It's it's supposed to be that kind of book for them. Josh, my commentary says that it's, it's used as, excuse me, it's used as a marker for dates given throughout the book. Yeah. But we don't know who this guy is. Like he was his, his, he was only eighteen at the time of exile, and had only been king for three months. That that is the legend. Okay, thank yeah. you. Yeah, no, no, that's great. That the and it's and it's and it's that legend has been going on for millennia. Like we know this guy existed at this time, but is there any? And and please understand, I'm 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 doing it in such a way that says uh, archaeologically, anthropologically, we we don't know when this person really existed, but we do kind of have an idea that Ezekiel was alive in 590 BC, just just because of the the timing. And like you said, Betty, at that time there was a king by this such and such name. And and to answer Karen's question, we don't we don't have any idea of what kind of king he was. And and it's frustrating because everywhere else that you read in the in the Hebrew Bible, it, with a few exceptions, there are they want you to know what kind of leader they were. And this part, they want you to focus in on the words of Ezekiel and that like Betty's commentary says, they gave you these names to give you a timeline, which is also something very Hebrew like. So, any other questions, comments? Because it's going to get weirder. <laughs> okay, so take a deep breath. Recognize that we're not we don't we're not trying to take all of this literally. It's very hard from this point on <laughs> because we want to go what, and you're going to go what here in just a little bit. So here we go. We're going to start at verse 15. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same form, their construction being something like a wheel within a wheel. When they moved, they moved in any of the four directions without veering as the move. As you remember, now the other ones, the other beings, they just move forward. This one moves in any direction that it chooses. Um, their rims were tall and awesome. See, I told you it's a biblical word. You should say awesome all the time. 
for the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. Uh, when the living creatures moved, the wheels moved beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirits would go, they went and the wheels rose along with them for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When they moved, the others moved. When they stopped, the others stopped. And when they rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And just so that I, I help you, because this spirit, the, the word that it is directly related to Ruach, the, the Hebrew place comes from Ruach. So it's it's really important that I say that uh, we translate this wrong all the time. The it, it, the breath of God uh, gets translated into Greek as pneuma, right? Air of God. So this is the spirit or ruach of God. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was something like a dome. Here's your halo. Shining like crystal spread out above their heads. Under the dome, their wings were stretched out uh, straight, one toward another, and each of the creatures had two wings covering its body. When they moved, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of mighty waters, like the thunder of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army. Ding, 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 ding. When they stopped, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above the dome over their heads, and when they stopped, they let down their wings. And above the dome of over their heads, there was something like a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was something that seemed like a human form. Upward from above appeared like the loins. I saw something like gleaming amber, something that looked like fire enclosed all around. And downward from what looked like the loins, I saw something that looked like fire. And there was splendor all around, like the bow in a cloud on a rainy day which we would call a rainbow. Um, Such was the appearance and splendor all around. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of someone speaking. Man, such good writing. I'm trying to think of, of an example where if I had seen something that only I had seen and I was trying to describe it to all of you, like if I had seen a helicopter, I'd be like, and it had a spinning large thing. And then on the back, it had a spinning thing that was sideways. And, and you'd probably be so confused and everything. <laughs> yeah, really, I'm not crazy. And, okay? and it had like a bubble in front, mm -hmm. you know, no, that's on purpose. Yeah. That's uh that's literally what it took place. Just like when it said in there the appearance of a what is it, a bow in the in the sky in after the, a cloudy cla day. Uh, yeah, or something like that. I was like, it took me about three seconds to go, Oh, yeah, it's a rainbow. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how we you're trying to find the right words mm -hmm. to describe what the vision is. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. No. The other thing I was thinking, this is why Christians can make such great science fiction writers. That's exactly you know, right. They spend a little time reading Ezekiel. They, they're like, oh, wow, that could be in the Bible. I can probably make up a lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, were their wings touching the whole time? Especially the ones that moved forward and backwards and up and down and that's moved more. That's the part that I get confused by. Like I don't know. Every time that I read this, I, I hear something different, mm -hmm. right? So I'm hearing three different types of things going on. You've got two that've got four wings, two that have got two wings, and then you've got these funky looking domes. And now I never caught this before, but there's these little pillars of fire that are circling around all of them at the same time, which I never caught as many times as I've read this. So why I'm making such a big deal out of this is I don't know. I just know that they were funky looking. I see kind of in my head like a hummingbird too, where its wings are moving so fast, mm -hmm. you know, that you can't even really see the individual wing per se, but you can almost see where it starts and it stops. And yeah, they could almost appear to be touching maybe from a certain angle or that's just my, and again, I'll probably read it tomorrow and come up with something totally different. Well, but a hummingbird also, you know, moves yeah. Like like uh, without turning, like it said too. So. One of one of the commentaries I read one time talked about dragonflies, okay. and you know the eyes all around type of thing. They have funky looking eyes, and they've got four wings, and they move just almost similar to a hummingbird, right? Then there's the idea of locusts. Their their wings are kind of funky, and they move a little bit weird. Um, and the, the the sound of the army and the thunder, you know, locusts have a have a tendency to to really make a sound when you hear them flying into the. I mean, it sounds like thunder when they come in. I I I, I got to hear a, a swarm for the very first time in my life in Kansas, and wow, what a what a terrifying experience! And it was fast, you know, like they just flew out of the ground and attacked this one little field, and then they died. Like it was just boom, gone, and that was it. But they moved all around. They didn't move like a dragonfly. It was... Uh... So I'm going with your hummingbird uh, conversation in the sense of what if they were this, right? So the, the idea is these celestial beings were not human. That That's, that's definitely something that's taking place here. Uh, the rainbow, you, you, you all caught that part, right? Like it was... There's a rainbow here. Um, there's there's some other weird things going on in the midst of that conversation that could be very easily explained through the through a metaphor of it was kind of like this, you know. Uh, but that was a long answer for easy. Josh. Yes, Pam. I don't see this as being. Um... Uh, I'm having a hard time hearing my, my feedback from you. Anyway, um, the streets, of the, the heaven was described as the streets of gold are um, lined, the streets are lined with gold and all these fancy things. And I think it's just human's way to try and tell you, hey, it was darned impressive. And I think the angels, uh, I, I don't know that they look like they are doing described here. I just think that the guy describing them is saying, they are more awesome and fearsome than anything you've ever imagined. Okay. So yep. if the ones in John look different, it's because he's trying to explain it and how he imagines the most awesome, awful thing could be. And if I were going to explain it, I might use a whole different, you know, analogies of what I saw or see. 
Yes. At this point, do we know if they're good, if they're more protectors than messengers, or are they? We're going to find out. Yeah. We don't know what they're up to. We don't. The There's this. So Pam was right at the beginning of a, a really interesting thing that happens in prophetic messages. Think, think of all the prophetic messages that take place in the Hebrew Bible. Moses and the burning bush, burning bush, something fantastical. Doesn't make sense. You can touch the fire, but it doesn't burn you. There's a cloud, you know, on the mountain. Um, you think about, uh, Daniel and the lion's den, there's something fantastical that takes place. And what was it, what was there in the lion's den? Someone that looked like one of the gods or son of the gods or something like that. And it, and it did what? It was in there with, uh, no, yeah, it was, it was in there with him and it was doing what? Protecting. Yeah. I was getting confused with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. No, that, that's the next yeah. one I was going to go okay. to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was in a burning fire, fiery pit. And in that moment, what was happening? That's right. And it's always imaged as something of human form, right? Something protecting. So now this is a different type of angel. Last week was about the messengers and what they were doing. The, the, the goal in that story was... Um, now we've gone from messengers now uh, and and living up to Torah about hospitality and truly doing what God has asked to do. Now we've got a totally different conversation. And, and Pam was right on the money of that, right? So you've got this uh, conversation in the sense of something fantastical happens and people have to describe it. We, we can't explain it other than dot, dot, dot. And here you've got something that's going to protect. It's going to be different. And it is extremely fantastical. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. It's just, here's the power of God and it something happens. But this is what I saw. And it's hard. I mean, I mean, you, you think about the protection. Now, I'm trying to be very careful in this sense, in this conversation, and not call them guardian angels, right? This is, that's a fairly, uh, well, it wouldn't have been in, in this time frame. We wouldn't have called them guardian angels at that time. But angels' second purpose, I think, are not just to be the messengers of God, but they're also to protect God's creation from ourselves. Some of us call them guardian angels, but that is a role of angels. Pam? Okay. Well, I have a friend who was um, oil field and she got hired in uh, um, Mons uh, Wyoming. And she tried to describe to me the first time she was driving out for troubleshooting on a rig in the middle of the night and, and came upon the Northern Lights. Oh, yeah. And, and trying to explain those and what it was like to someone who hadn't seen it uh, it's pretty a fantastical thing to do. I think exactly. it might be similar to this. Exactly. <clears throat> and and that and you're and that's why I was using what you were saying as an example. So it's 
how how do you explain this fantastical event that's taking place in front of you, but you know that you're protected from the power of God? So there's a how do you know you're protected? How do you know you're protected? Well, he starts it off by saying that the hand of the Lord was placed upon Ezekiel. So the the reader would hear this as Ezekiel is seeing all of this and knowing that Ezekiel is not in danger. Because if he did, right? I mean, in historically, or I'm sorry, in the Hebrew Bible, you see the presence of God, you die. So in this place, something, the hand of the Lord is placed upon Ezekiel and Ezekiel is given this vision and there's this thing that takes place. And the part that goes on through Ezekiel is <laughs> Ezekiel becomes a perfect example of a Hebrew Bible prophet. You're all going to you're all going to die. If you don't listen to God. You need to come back to the Lord. You need to listen to God's voice. There's abominations in the temple and there's idolaters everywhere. And you're all just all sinner heathens, you know. Um, and so Ezekiel continues on from that moment with this turn back to God conversation, which leads us to chapter eight. So in chapter seven, there's this judgment upon an idolatrous Israel because they have yet once again messed up. And, uh, and Ezekiel has been given the power of God to speak to the people. And here it comes. <laughs> They've messed up the, all of seven, by the way. Is basically one gigantic sermon of you dumb dumb heathens. Now let's let me tell you what's going to happen with these beings. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, again, the hand of the Lord of God, the Lord God fell upon me there. I looked, and there was a figure that looked like a human being. Below what appeared to be its loins, it was fire. Does that sound familiar? Just like the other one sitting on a throne. And uh, and above the loins, it was the, like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming amber. It stretched out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head, wraps you by the head. Remember, the presence of God touches you on the head. The head is a sacred place. You don't You don't mess with people's head. So it takes you by the head. Uh, and it and it lifts him up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, to the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And the glory of the God of Israel was there. And like the vision that I had seen in the valley, then God said to me, O mortal, lift up your eyes now in the direction of the north. So I lifted up my eyes Towards the north, and there, north of the altar gate, in the entrance, was this image of jealousy. He said to me, Mortal, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing there, here, committing here, to drive me far from my sanctuary. Yet you will see greater abominations. And he brought me to the entrance of the court, and I looked, and there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, Mortal, dig through the wall. And when I dug through the wall, there was an entrance. He said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. This is supposed to be like the temple, right? 
So I went in and looked. They're portrayed on the wall all around were all kinds of creeping things and loathsome animals and all idols of the house of Israel. Before them stood 70 of the elders of the house of Israel, just exactly like what the revelator in John talks about, uh, with Jezaniah, son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand, and the fragrant cloud of incense was ascending. Then he said to me, Mortal, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each of the, in his room of images? For they say the Lord does not see us. Lord has forsaken his the land. He also said to me, You will see still greater abominations that they are committing. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north, at the gate of the house of the Lord. Women were sitting there weeping for uh, Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O mortal? You will see greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. There at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, prostrating themselves to the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O mortal? It is, is it not bad enough that the house of Judah commits the abominations done here? Must they fill the land with violence and provoke my anger still further? See, they are putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will act in my wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they uh, cry in my hearing with a loud voice, I will not listen to them. And I'm going to keep going. Then he cried in my hearing with a loud voice, draw near you executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. And six men came forth, uh, came from the direction of the upper gate with which faces north, each with his weapon for slaughter in his hand. Among them was a man clothed in, clothed in linen with a writing case at his side. They went in, stood beside this bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. The Lord called to the man uh, clothed in linen who had writing case at his side and said to him, go through the city through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed to in it. To the others, he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him and kill your eye shall not spare, and you shall not show pity. Cut down old men, young men, young women, children, women, but touch no one who has the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were in front of the house. Then he said to them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go. They went out. So they went out, killed in the city while they were killing, and I was left alone. I fell prostrate on my face and cried out, all oh, Lord God. Will you destroy all who remain of Israel as you pour out your wrath upon Jerusalem? He said to me, the guilt of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. The land is full of bloodshed and the city full of perversity, for they say the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see. As for me, my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity, but I will bring down their deeds upon their heads. Then the man clothed in linen with the writing case at his side brought back words saying, I have done as you have commanded me. I'm pause. Sure. 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 Right. We have one more passage of scripture to read, but uh, it's 953 for those of you that may need to leave. So I just didn't want to, I didn't want to mess you up. Uh, okay, Pam. So how does God taking the angels and raising them against the, the, the temple 
fit in with his promise to Abraham that you are my people and I am your God? It's a good question. It's hard for us to rationalize a vengeful God. Well, uh, to me, and kind of answering that, to me, this is um, a dream. I mean, it's not necessarily going to happen. It's a dream. Yeah, it has not happened yet, or it will. It's more of a dream. Than, I mean, hmm? Go for it, Cindy. Well, I was just going back to... Uh, the beginning of chapter nine, where it said that um, the gate which places north each was, does the direction have a significance? Yeah. Does the direction have a significance? She asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't hear that. He was just repeating what you said for Amber. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, I think. Uh, Yes, the the direction matters. So, like the, anything that comes, the the wind always comes from the north, right? Like it, it, the the changing of the seasons comes from the north. So, um, so all of that matters. Um, it's it's still it's still uncomfortable for us to talk about the vengeful God scenario. But last week, we read about a vengeful God with Sodom and Gomorrah where hospitality was not extended because they were not living Torah. Here, what is the problem that they're struggling with? Well, they have the temple. They have kind of the truth or the way. Mm -hmm. And it seems like he's saying, now look at this. Now look at this and look at this. And it's people all kind of doing their own thing. Yep. But specifically, he, he names them. There are, starts with an I, Idolaters, idols, yeah, idols. Okay, so yeah, engraved things, yeah. engraved engraved images, yeah, put upon the in inside of the temple. You have practices that are not of Torah being the taken. Sun worship, sun yeah. worship is being taken place inside there. They're praying and worshiping as um the their captives. The, they're the captors. They're they're praying and doing things like their captors, not the way they're supposed to be doing things in Torah. So this moment of vengeance is for them. We have not only not extended hospitality, but we have we have put false images before our own one true God. And I know, I mean, there's obviously there's a relationship with with God and Israel and all this stuff, but a lot of the the whole covenant doesn't it start with the if mm -hmm. like if you do this i will mm -hmm. bless you and all that but it also talks about if you don't do this then you're going to be conquered you're going to that's right you're you know so there's that conditional uh promise i guess in a way depending on how how you keep the covenant and right. it's this is the part that we always kind of move past is, is this in in the Torah God says here here are the things that I want you to do if you do not do these things this will happen to you literally spells it all out like like 
Ted was just saying, you're going to be enslaved. You're going to be captured. You're going to be treated less than human. But here's your choices. And in, and when that happens, be prepared for the consequences and repercussions. Hey, Josh. Yes. You, oh, wow. Robert, I hear you. <laughs> he who will not I, be I silenced. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. Go for um, it. Ezekiel and the people he's surrounded by are still in exile, right? Yes, yes. So this is as much of um, this is what the future could be as much as this is what the future is. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, this this, this is your what if. Exactly. Or they can stand back and say, Okay, we still have a chance to change. Even even the people in the you know in the sanctuary in the are are doing bad, you know. That's right. We sounds like a bad dream. Sounds like a bad dream. And that's, it is. And that's what a prophet does is tell you what will happen if you don't make a change. That's exactly right. And notice in the roles of angels here, right? These celestial beings here are not to protect you. They're to, they are literally servants of God. They are not happy people. They don't have choices. This is, <laughs> this is the part I want you to get from this. They, they don't have emotions like we want to give them. This is, this is where I struggle. And, and as, as we get close to this ending for this week, I, the part that is fascinating to me for the 20th century is we gave personality to things that don't have it. This, these things don't, did you see them ask God, are you sure you want me to do this? Did they, did you hear them do that last week? There was no questions. It was God says this, I do that. There's no if, answer, buts. Who gets to question Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Uh, yeah. And I guess us. Us. Yeah. Human <clears throat> beings question God every step of the way, and God makes it real simple. God says, do this. We say, but why? <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> angel and, do and angel doesn't say, I don't want to do that's that. That's right. <laughs> Angels are always portrayed as these happy go lucky. I mean, I, I loved the movie Michael, where John Travolta plays the Archangel Michael. I thought it was really adorable. Um, but at the end of the day, the idea that he wants to be human for a little bit of time on Earth is frankly non-biblical. It's right? just fiction. It's totally <laughs> fiction. It was a great Midrashic idea. You know, I think that's a cool idea. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't think that's blasphemous. I just think it's kind of funny. Um, but it, it's not it's not accurate. If you want to really Josh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> um are we going to get into the angels that have free will? Kind of. Because there's only kind one. Of. Okay. Well, one. okay. I yep. I understand that, but I thought there was others that came to Earth. Not, not, not 
Well, we are we are definitely going to get to that, especially when we get to the book. Okay. Of Enoch, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna spend several weeks on on the books of Enoch, and we're gonna talk about that specifically, um, because in in our Bible in in the canon that we have currently, none of them have free will except for one. Um, okay. And that's the hard part. The, the The angel that's in the in our Bible is Lucifer, uh, Morningstar, and he he somehow has the ability to question God. And the first thing he does is start a war in heaven, and then he gets cast down into the seas of Tartarus. And so I'm going to hold off on him until we get to the book of Enoch. But yeah, that's a good question. So. Actually, just to piggyback off of that, and as we finish this discussion today, if you look at popular movies and you look at things as a portrayal, like a visual image of angels, I think I go back to Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like that that image of what we've always interpreted as, as aliens or thinks that nature, there's this, there's this weirdness to it. There's a science fiction to it, especially with Ezekiel's wheel. And the and the scariest version of angels that I can think of is is a a, a, a movie series that I'm not suggesting you go watch. But uh, there's a movie series called the uh, the prophecy. It's a uh, Christopher Walken is in it, and that these archangels uh, are in the story. And there's it's a very weird thing. But the the way that the angels are pro um, projected in that movie series. Uh, I think is probably a better uh, example of how archangels operate than anything else. The other problem that we run into is, again, how do you give person to something that doesn't have person? You know, they, they don't have that. So I, I want to end this today here. Um, next week, we're going to do a different book. Uh, the or at least the next time we gather, we're going to do another book. I'm I'm leaning more towards Daniel, um, and and uh, and then the week after that, we're gonna we're gonna go to the New Testament, and um, and then we're gonna spend the at least three, if not four weeks on uh, the books of Enoch because I just I, again, you're all supposed to know that, but you haven't read it, and everybody that's reading in the Hebrew Bible. Not really, but a lot of them in the Hebrew Bible and and all of them in the New Testament have heard, at least discussed the books of Enoch. So um, with that being said, we will stop the recording today. <laughs>